I've said it before, and I will say it again. Uh, what an honor and blessing it is to be with you this morning. Now, I say that every single time I get the chance to speak with you, uh, but especially for our purposes today, I, I just want to reemphasize for a second how wonderful it is that we actually get to be here. Can I get an amen? And a clap, love it. Uh, and I think there are three levels to that statement, levels of comprehension. Uh, level one is kind of at face value. Uh, when I say it's wonderful we get to be here, meaning face value, it's wonderful to have this place, uh, this awesome auditorium, and, and the classrooms, the gym, the kitchen, uh, and dare I even say it, it's even wonderful to have a potentially haunted basement right below us. You may not know that we have that, because we don't talk about that, but it's even wonderful to have that. Uh, but that's the first level, kind of face value. Uh, but again, uh, there's a second level of why it's wonderful that we get to be here. Uh, it's wonderful because we get to see familiar faces every week. How awesome that actually is to, to share prayer requests and share needs, uh, share concerns and worries, to, to see people we know every Sunday. Uh, it's awesome to have that. It's wonderful to see so many new faces too, visitors, welcome to our church. Uh, to see so many new babies coming into the world. It's, it's wonderful. And, and dare I even say it again, it's wonderful to have the youth group that we have here, which is equal parts wonderful and terrifying, as always. But, but it's wonderful to be here. However, there's one more level of, of why it's wonderful that we get to be here. And, and that's the level we're going to focus on this morning, as to why it's so wonderful to be together. Uh, and to get there, we're going to start with the Beatles. Uh, how many of you are familiar with this image? Raise your hand. Yeah, almost everyone. Uh, if you're listening online or can't see what this is, this is the, the cover, Abbey Road from the Beatles. Uh, it's one of the most famous images in music history. Uh, and you, you can see why. It's, it's pretty iconic. It's parodied in movies. They all have beautiful full heads of hair, which doesn't make me better at all, but we're here. And uh, my personal favorite part, though, has nothing to do with any of the Beatles. In fact, my favorite part is, is actually this guy back here. Because what do you think is going through his head right now? This was a public photo. This wasn't staged. So this guy is probably the most successful photo bomber in history. And I wonder what he's thinking. In fact, they actually tracked this guy down. He was an American tourist. And he says, and I quote, he called them a bunch of kooks because he didn't know what was going on. He said they all looked too radical for his taste. But he's just a bystander in the back watching history unfold. To be that kind of bystander is a pretty fascinating thought. Uh, there's even another one I want to share with you. This is from a movie uh, called The Pirates of the Caribbean, which is kind of a, an action-adventure family film. Pirates is pretty awesome. Uh, however, I want to see if you can catch this, so I'm going to play this clip really quick. On deck, you scabbers, dogs! Hands to the... Anybody see that? It's kind of hard to see now, uh, but I'm, I'm no historian but I'm not sure how many guys wearing cowboy hats and sunglasses <laughs> were on pirate ships back then. I'm not sure how many. But again, just, just a bystander having no idea that this is the culmination of the movie. This is the big finale where everything is put in place, everything's right. He's just kind of hanging out back there as a bystander. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with this idea of, of bystanders, uh, especially when we apply that to Scripture. I wonder what it was like to be a farmer or, or a shepherd uh, watching back then, if you see two armies and you, and you see a fight between David and Goliath, what were you thinking that day? To just be a bystander watching history unfold? Or what if you were enjoying a day on the beach with your family 
Then all of a sudden, a giant fish vomits up an entire man on the shore. What are you thinking that day? Just watching the story you had no part in, but you would experience me being a lion in a den and having a guy thrown to you, thinking it's dinner time, but not yet, if you're Daniel. And, and just thinking about all these characters and these stories and just being a bystander watching history unfold. However, we actually don't have to look that far concerning this topic, because the truth is, for most of biblical history, most of human history, we ourselves were bystanders. In fact, if you actually want the official word, we gather today, if you know it or not, as Gentiles. Pork-eating, Sabbath-breaking Gentiles. Here we are together. Bystanders. See, Gentiles is, is, is the term for what a non-Jewish person is, a non-Israelite. That, that's, that's a Gentile. And so I want you to imagine for a second how intense this relationship between God and the Israelites truly is. Because from the beginning of history, God picked one people to be his people. God picked the Israelites, a very small nation. He made the promise in Genesis to, to Abraham and, and the father of many nations we know him as. In fact, the, the relationship is so intense that in the book of Exodus, when, when God's telling Moses what to say to Pharaoh, he says, Israel is my firstborn son. That's how intense the relationship is between God and his chosen people, his one chosen people. And Egypt took his firstborn son. That's how intense the relationship is between God and his chosen people. It's even made more intense in the book of Deuteronomy if you read that. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. That's said to the Israelites, God's one single chosen people. And that's how it's been through all of history. And don't forget, this is also a world full of ites. We call ites. In fact, even in Deuteronomy, it talks about all the kind of ites there were before that. The Hittites, the Jebusites, Canaanites, Amalekites, all those ites. We have the same kind of thing. For example, if, if you're from Nebraska, it's called Nebraskan. Uh, my wife is from Michigan. If you're from Michigan, it's called a Michigander. They even have a subset of cultures where if you're from the lower peninsula, Michigander, upper peninsula is called a youper. I think she's making that up, but I can't say that. Or if, if you're from Iowa, we call it unfortunate, but that's not the point of why we're doing that. Um, but even here, we have a world full of ites where it's a nation upon nation, and, and the ites are, are saying where they're from, all this kind of stuff, but God picks his one people. It says, you, my people, knowing all of his great wisdom, how people would interact, knowing what they would do or not do, who would follow him and not, he picks one. It says, you are my chosen people. You're my son. And he, he sustains them through all of history, through the exodus and, and the slavery, and he goes through this huge cycle where they break his heart, he lets them back in. They, they break his heart, he lets them back in. And it's this huge cycle all the way down to now, God sustained his one chosen people because God keeps his promises. God promised the Israelites years and years and years ago he'd deliver them. He keeps his promises. And it's not just an Old Testament idea where it's God and his chosen one chosen people. In fact, it's in the New Testament too. Uh, you may know the story of the Canaanite woman. Uh, this woman had a daughter suffering from demonic possession. Again, she's an ite. She's a Canaanite. She approaches Christ and says, can you please help? And Jesus doesn't say anything. He's, in the, he's not in his region right now. And she keeps on approaching and approaching and approaching. And Jesus finally says, I was sent only 
to the lost sheep of Israel. That's what he says. Why? Because God is keeping his promise. He first promised the Israelites that he would deliver his people. To the fact where he even says to this woman, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. He's establishing the difference here. And even she, a Canaanite, who was not a part of the promise, says, yes, Lord, that's not right. But even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. And on that, Jesus says, that's some great faith. I'll do it. And I think that's a, that's a hint of what's going to come later. But then we have uh, Matthew chapter 10, that the first time Jesus sends out his disciples of the world. In fact, he says, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go through Samaria. Don't go to any of those areas. Go only to the lost sheep of Israel. Why? Because God is keeping his promise. I mean, later he sends out to, to the whole world, but for now he says, no, don't go to anywhere else besides the lost sheep of Israel. Even after he dies in Romans 1, Paul's writing, he's talking about how he's not ashamed of the gospel because it brings salvation. And then he specifies, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Do you know how we're gathered this morning as those pork-eating, Sabbath-breaking Gentiles? Something changed. Something big changed to where we are able to gather together now and call upon his name. Think about that for a moment. Through the entirety of history, God had one people. Then all of a sudden, you can be invited. We can be here. Something changed. We'll get there in a second. Uh, but we sing this song uh, called Standing on the Promises. Uh, and if, if we're going to be honest, if we're going to be honest about that, for, for the most part of history, we couldn't sing that as Gentiles because we didn't have the promise. And you may say that that's pretty crazy to think about, but even if you weren't there, there's, there's a process where you could become an Israelite. Throughout history, if you want to, you could become circumcised, enter into the law, and even go through a kind of baptism-type thing where once you come out of that water, the second you do, you're considered a brand new person from Gentile to Israelite. That means they consider you Israelite-born because it's a new birth. And now you can stand on the promises. That's how it used to be. In fact, we sing the song all the time, Standing on the Promises, and it's a great song. Standing on the promises of Christ my King through eternal ages let his praises ring, standing on the promises of God. But we shouldn't forget, for a lot of history, we'd have to add the word by in front of it. By standing on the promises. Because for so much of history, we were in the background of the picture. We were the guy in the back, watching history unfold, watching the Jewish nation chosen by God go through its course. God delivering them, they're breaking their heart. God delivering them, then breaking God's hearts back and forth, back and forth. And all of a sudden, here we are now. So what changed? What changed between God having one nation, one chosen people that he called his own, his treasured possession, for now everyone who calls on God is a part of his kingdom? You, who weren't an Israelite, we weren't chosen by God in that sense, but we're brought together now. For that, we're going to the book of Luke 2.21. Uh, this might be one of my favorite stories in all of history. Uh, because, again, I want you to think about this moment for a moment. This is uh, where, where he's going to the temple as a baby. And this is what happens in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. This is in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he'd been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, 
Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have promised and prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What a story. Imagine Simeon, a Jew, waiting for what he calls the consolation of Israel, the fulfilled promise. God promising his children to deliver the Messiah. And he's waiting day after day, and he finally sees Christ come in, a child. And he holds him in his arms. Imagine how powerful that must be to hold this child in his arms and say, this now is God's promise, and I can die in peace. Because God provided not only a light for the Gentiles, he still specified there's the light for the Gentiles and glory for Israel. So what changed? Christ changed everything. What changed for Israel? Nothing. God promised a long time ago, God fulfilled his promise. Nothing changed for them. But for the Gentiles, for us, everything changed that day. Because now we get to be called in. Now we get to be called in to this fellowship, to the family of believers. We get to be called in to call in the name of God. Through all of history, had one people, but now he calls you a son. And he calls you a daughter. We're no longer bystanders in the back of the picture watching history. We're now called in to be the main focus where God is, where we can be a part of this story. We're no longer bystanders of the promises. We get to be a part of it now. So have I said before, maybe I'll say it again, how wonderful it really is that we get to be here today to call upon God, to call upon his glory and his spirit and his light and have a fellowship together where it's not just the one people now, it's many people from all nations. And the story keeps on going in the book of Romans 9. Paul is starting to talk about the Gentiles and the Jews, and he has this huge discourse about Jews versus Gentiles. Romans 9 says this, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs are the adoption of sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. That's how he starts in this big discourse, saying, I wish I was cut off because Israel has all the promises and all the patriarchs, and the story is theirs. But he keeps on talking about what it means to be drawn together, to be drawn near to where God calls you. Not an Israelite, but as a child of the living God. 
no longer by standing on the promises, but called forward and brought near. He gets more specific. And I love uh, the verse in chapter 11. Starting in verse 11, that's what it says. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the past of the dough offered as first roots is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. I want you to pay very special attention to the next section. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over their branches. If you do, consider this. You don't support the root, but the root supports you. You'll say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Don't be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you are cut out of the olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? That's a lot of imagery. <laughs> We're the wild olive branch that's broken off and put into an already existing tree. Gentiles now allowed into the tree. And it says, if you're there, the root supports you. You don't support the root, but the root gives you life. Us as Gentiles all of a sudden have the opportunity to be grafted into the people of God. How many times have we been bystanders on the promises, even though we know all this now, and you're called forward? There's one more that I especially love, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, 
You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Can I say again how wonderful it is that we get to be here today? Especially after reading that. Think about this for a second. How wonderful it is that we can call on God's name now. Because he's building us into one building. Get rid of his hostility and the differences. There's no Jew or Greek. or There's just followers of God. And we get to be here. And we take this for granted so many times, if I'm going to be honest with you. Because even knowing all this stuff, knowing the history of the Gentiles and the history of the Israelites and the history of church, all that kind of stuff, we can still come here on every Sunday morning and still only be bystanding on the promises. Somehow we can still do that. Where we don't give ourselves fully over to God on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever you meet or on Monday or Tuesday or any day of the week. We can forget we're called in to be brought near by the blood of Christ. We don't have to be in the background anymore, watching history. God calls you forward and calls you dearly loved to be a child of the living God. How could we be bystanders on that? So today we have some challenges for you as well. To no longer be bystanding on the promise because God keeps his promises. And what has God promised you? What has he promised you? Because he fulfilled his promise to Israel, his, his, his chosen one people. He promised him and he fulfilled every promise he made. So what does he promise you? You can be grafted in. You can join in the body of God. You can become heirs along with the original people. You can be called sons and daughters of the living God. You can be adopted as sons and daughters into the promise that God made for all people now. God keeps his promises. And he's calling you his own. Can we ever, ever imagine bystanding in the background again? Taking yourselves out of the story, going back to the, the back of the picture where your arms are kind of at your sides, just watching where history is unfolding. We can't do that anymore. Because <laughs> now we're, we're able to come together. We're able to have this building and, and, and the worship we have and, and the songs we've sung and the prayers we've heard and the scripture this morning that was read Beautifully, might I add. That's actually where we're going to finish today. Because I personally love where this is placed. See, if you read this by itself, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful passage. In fact, in Scripture, if you have the little heading that was at it, it's called the doxology. But Paul put this right after his discourse about how wonderful it is that God brought the two peoples together, Gentiles and the Jews. The original heirs, the promise, and those who can be grafted in. It's almost as if he's being like overwhelmed with what he's writing, talking about Israel and how they'll be saved and the remnant remains, and people can join that remnant now. There's no difference. There's only children of God. And that's when he puts this doxology in. That's when he says this. Oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God to bring all peoples together to bring you in to his children. We can call ourselves God's children. So to finish today, uh, we'll first have the invitation. If, if you want to stop bystanding on the promises 
and, and feel like you're just witnessing God move into other people's lives, and you want to come forward today in baptism or for prayer requests or for any needs you want shared, because we can gather together here, your chance is going to be during the song. Our elders will be around the room as always because we are so blessed with our elders. It's so awesome to have them leading this flock, even though we're Gentiles, pork-eating, Sabbath-breaking, but we still get to call God our Father. And so as we stand in a moment, we're actually going to read this together. And I want you to put as much passion and energy as you possibly can into reading this scripture because it signifies that we get to do this in the first place. You get to read this out loud, praising our God, not just as, as a Gentile, separate, no longer bystanding on the promises, but stepping into them and having God call you. Let's stand and read. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should pay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's sing.